uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening. Uh, Lord, I, I am so thankful for Marty and, and all the preparation and the things that, um, that you've put on his heart. And so, Lord, I pray that he would uh, continue to be a willing vessel, uh, that he would be effective for your kingdom. So, Lord, the things that you want him to say, I pray that you would speak them clearly. Uh, and, Lord, just totally depend on you. And uh, so, Lord, we are looking for uh, just to see you, um, your spirit, your possibility through your word. And, uh, and thank you, Lord, for, this, uh, for your word, for the scripture and the, and the journey that you've taken us on in this book of Lamentations. So I do pray for your great favor um, over this. And, and thank you so much for um, providing Marty, who's going to give us um, just a wonderful message tonight. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How am I on? Everybody can hear? Okay. Well, we are in the fourth chapter of Lamentations. And like Brother Henry said last week, it's an acoustic type of writing. It's, it's kind of like poetry, poem. And so it gets really bad the time we get to the fourth chapter. And so before we get into the fourth chapter, I want to give you a little lay of the land, what was going on leading up to this period of time in history. Um, I'm even going to go all the way back to chapter 39 in Isaiah. And in chapter 39 in Isaiah, I, Isaiah asked King Hezekiah, did you show this prince from Babylon the sacred articles that go to the temple? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, you know, he's, why did you do that? Don't you know that one day you're going to be slaves to Babylon? So 100 years before Jeremiah was even prophesying already, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, had already been warned that things aren't going to be going well for you. And so some of the things, the events that happened during this period was Assyria, who was the big boy on the block for like 300 years, fell to Babylon around 626, you know, in that area, it's, it, it lasted quite a while. In the same time, Babylon, with the help of the Medes, who one day eventually would be their enemy, with the help of the Medes, conquered Nineveh. And so you have Nineveh that's fallen, you have Assyria that's fallen, and the big boy on the block is Egypt. So Egypt was getting ready, and since Assyria has already fallen, Egypt was soliciting whatever was left of Syria to help them because they knew that they were going to be coming against the Babylonians. So in about 609, Egypt is going north. They're getting ready for, a, they're just getting ready to have this huge confrontation with Babylon. But in the meantime, they're trying to 
solicit all the help they can get. They may have even wanted to solicit Judah, but for some reason, as they were marching north, Josiah, who was king at the time, decided he was going to get his army and go up against Egypt. To the, I could not find a reason why other than he thought he was doing the right thing because it ended up he lost his life in that battle. So that's about 609. So Josiah, he's, he's, he didn't make it. He, he was killed in the battle. And then the next king, Jehoaz, or Jehoaz, he became king. He was one of Josiah's sons. He only lasted three months. So the next king was Jehoiakim, and he lasted about 11 years. Now Jehoiakim, he was what you would call, he was really into what God didn't want. In other words, he, he worshiped false gods. He was, he was taking Israel further and further away from God. And so God was going to get rid of him. But he lasted quite a few years. But during this time, something else happened in 606, 605. Egypt finally got ready to go against, go against Babylon, and we call that. Now, the first battle in 609 was the Battle of Megiddo, where Josiah was killed. But this battle was the Battle of Carchemish, and it happened around 606. Interesting about this battle is that Egypt was defeated, but something else took place. Now, up or east, where Babylon was, was the king called Nebuchadnezzar, which was the father of Nebuchadnezzar. So when Nebuchadnezzar, he's the commanding general now, he's not the king, he stops in Jerusalem and he decides to take the choicest prisoners he can find. And some of the choice prisoners that went in that first exile was, anyone know, 606? Daniel. Daniel. And his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which most of us know is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these four, they were faithful, which tells me that not all the people that went into captivity were backsliders or turned their back on God. There were many who still loved the Lord. But they went in captivity along with everyone else. So at the same time, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, dies around 606. So the son, the commanding general, Nebuchadnezzar, becomes king. So while he's going back up, he wants to take Judah. He wants, he wants that. It's, it's kind of like a prized possession for him. So, a lot of things are happening. We haven't even talked about Jeremiah because Jeremiah is a prophet during all of this time. So Jeremiah becomes a prophet right around 625, 626. 
So the time that first exile happens in 606, he's been a prophet for probably close to 20 years. Also, when you look at the history, those 21, 20 or so, uh, I, I would say out of the 20 uh, kings of Judah, there were only four or five that were faithful. And even the ones that were faithful had some flaws. So, so God was going to deal with Israel because he did not want his children to go down the road that they were on. Incidentally, when the northern kingdom fell, 722 BC, when the northern kingdom fell, many over that next hundred years before, before the southern kingdom fell, there were many of the Israelites who trickled down back into the southern kingdom because, first of all, there was no temple. Another little side note, Jehoroboam, who became the first king of the northern kingdom, knew that there was no temple in, in that part in the ten tribes. So he set up his own religion with two golden calves, and they never had a good king, and they fell a hundred years before the southern kingdom. So there, it's been said that those ten northern tribes are the lost tribes of Israel. But make no mistake, God doesn't lose anything. <laughs> and he knows exactly where everyone is at. So, so you have this, this playing field here. So everyone's defeated. Now, just another little side note. During the first years of Zedekiah, he tried to get Egypt to come and help them. And actually, Egypt came up. And when they saw the Babylonian army, they retreated back to Egypt. And until this day, Egypt has never been a world power. Now, they are a sovereign country, but they're, they're, they've lost. They're just another country. Incidentally, fast forward a couple thousand years, in the, in the 67 Six-Day War with Israel, Egypt was one of the stronger nations that came against Israel and they were completely defeated. Now, a few years after that, the president of, of Egypt at the time, Anwar Sadat and Golda Meir, they made a kind of a peace treaty, which to this day, it's not real solid, but it's a lot better than it used to be. So the history of Israel is so rich that you can't help but just get involved in the history of it because when we look at the history of that whole area, we see God's hand just so plain. It's, it's, it, it's, it's amazing what he did. So now we're going to come down another couple years to the year 6, or excuse me, 597. And 597 was the second exile of the southern kingdom. Does anyone know who went in that exile? 
another prophet after Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Ezekiel goes in the second group. Now, also, when did the 70-year period start? A lot of people think it was 586 when everything fell, but no. Actually, the 70 years started on the first deparkation or the first exile. So when, when, it, when Ezekiel went into captivity in 597, now the first exiles, Daniel and his friends, are in the palace area. They've been, they've been appointed to be a part of the king's, how can I say, cabinet. But they're, they're astrologers, they're medians, they're seers. They're not what you would call our cabinet because Babylon was thoroughly in, involved in paganism. So the staff that Nebuchadnezzar had were actually astrologers and all those kind of guys. You remember when he had that dream, he wanted to find out, because his dad who appointed them all, and he wanted to find out if his, you know, if these guys could cut it. So he, when he had that dream, remember, he said, I want you not only to interpret the dream, but I want you to tell me what the dream is. Anyway, he was going to put them all to death. And that's when uh, Daniel was elevated because he not only could tell him what the dream was, but the interpretation. That's another study in Daniel, and we're not going to go there. But it's just interesting, everything that's happening in this short period of history. So then, and another little side note, Lamentations is the only kind of book that you can see it as a lament or sorrow or just, just before the Lord. And, and it is read every year because Israel to this day does not have their, their kingdom or, well, they have their kingdom, but they don't have their temple. So this, this is read. And there are many, many Jews who beat themselves, who beat themselves, and knowing that God, when are you going to restore our temple? When will that happen? And so it's, it's just a, a black eye that Israel has to this day that they don't have a temple. And when they rebuilt the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, when it was rebuilt, it never had the the beauty of the first temple built by Solomon. So now we're going to fast forward again, and we're going to look at Jeremiah. So Jeremiah begins his ministry, like I said, about 20 years before the first uh, exile. And he's, he has a friend, Josiah, who's killed. He has a secretary, Baruch, who writes most of what he says, and he writes that down. But Jeremiah is pretty lonely. But there's so many side stories to this man. It's amazing because, get this, Zedekiah, who is now the king of Judah, 
does not want to give up anything. And Jeremiah pleads with him, Zedekiah, if you, if you surrender right now, you won't lose your life and the city won't be destroyed. Just surrender. And, you know, this is the time when Jeremiah is arrested and, you know, he has some friends. But get this. There's an elder. I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try it. But there's an elder who said, remember back in the day of Samuel, back in the day when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they took it at Shiloh. And when he gives this little story in Jeremiah, they're scratching it. What is he trying to say? Zedekiah, you don't believe that the temple will ever be destroyed. You're putting all your faith that God will protect that temple no matter what. Well, this elder says to Zedekiah, they never thought that anyone would ever take off with the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines took it. Now, that's a whole nother story about what happened in that time. But he, what he's trying to say is, you cannot put your faith in anything other than the Lord. It's the Lord that we have to have our faith in. So, so then, you know, another, so here it is, Zedekiah, he's, he's trying to, it says in one place that they're standing on the towers that the wall, that their wall surrounds the city, and they're just begging, someone come and help us. You know, this doesn't look good. But there comes a time when Jeremiah is told, don't warn them anymore. They've gone too far. So we look, at, we look at this call on Jeremiah. So when you read the first chapter of Jeremiah, it says where he's born. It's a lot of information just in those few verses. But it says where he's born. He comes from a priestly family. And so he's called. And when he's called, he's, the first thing he says is, I'm just a lad, Lord. I don't have the ability. And God gives him a promise that he gives us. That I won't leave you, Jeremiah. I'll protect you. You know, when you read the scriptures that, that gives us the assurance that God will never leave us, it's the same thing he was telling Jeremiah. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember when he gave the Great Commission, go ye therefore, and he ends up by saying, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. So we have these promises that God won't leave us, and he's saying the same thing to Jeremiah. You're going to go and you're going to talk to who I want you to talk to. You're going you're to tell people what I want them to hear, because I will be with you. So. Jeremiah is this young guy. He takes off and he begins his ministry. There is so much in Jeremiah that you really need to understand that book in order to know Lamentations. Because not only is he sensitive, but he loves his country. So he sees that, oh man, Zedekiah, you, you didn't listen. You didn't, you didn't hear what God was telling you through me. 
because he's called me to tell you. And at one point, Jeremiah gets, gets it to the point where in First Lamentations, Second Lamentations, and Third Lamentations, in the Third Lamentation, he gives this, you know, a dozen or so scriptures right in the middle of the third chapter. And, it's, and it says, now let me see if I can do this. <laughs> the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And I will hope in him. And those verses are right smack in the middle of one of the most sad moments in Israel's history. There's no other book that compares with Lamentations. You don't hear very many sermons or teachings on Lamentations because it's a, it's a sad story. And, and I've been given the fourth chapter that's really bad because not only is judgment coming, but he sees it. He sees it. And you know, God's promises to us as the new covenant, if you take apart piece by piece the first chapter of Ephesians, <clears throat> his love for us, that he called us before the foundations of the world. He, he elevates us and sets us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a high altitude scripture, high altitude. And he, he ends it by saying, I'm going to seal all these promises to you with the Holy Spirit. And so as, as Israel is in such a bad place, in such a bad place, Sometimes God turns, turns the dial, and he did it with me. He turns it so it gets our attention, gets us to a place where, Lord, there's nowhere else to run. Exactly, exactly. And this is what's happening right here in the fourth chapter of Lamentations. Can we put you want to put it on the screen? I can read it. I don't know if uh, I have the NIV, but I just want to read you. How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold becomes dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street. I'm going to go down to verse 4. Because of the thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of, roof of their mouth. You know, it's so bad that there's no water, there's no food, there's no 
there's hardly anything. For 18 months, there's been a siege around the walls. No one goes out. No one goes in. And they're just going to wait till they run out of everything. And when you see what's happening, it says in verse 6, the punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom. We all know what happened to Sodom. And this punishment is worse. When you go down to verse 9, it says those that are killed by the sword, it's better than dying of hunger. And then he just keeps on going. With their hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children just to survive, just to eat. And you go over to verse 13, but it happened because of the sins of her prophets and iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Down to 16, the Lord himself has scattered them, no longer watches over them. See, you know, we know if you study Revelation that, you know, there's it gets worse and worse, you know, the, 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 the wrath gets worse. And what he's doing is God is trying to get the people, look up. Is this what you want? Is, is, this, is this what you want? And, you know, when I'm looking at all of this that's going on, it's disturbing. It's it's not fun. This is serious stuff. Now, as a new, being in the new covenant, no, our battles aren't with food and that. Our, our battles are spiritual. I think it's Second Corinthians. It says our battles are not carnal, but our battles are, are spiritual, pulling down strongholds. You know, our battle because we no longer have a priest to do our bidding in the temple for us, we actually are the temple. And instead of having a battle against another nation, we have battles in the spiritual realm. And we actually have the ability to pull down strongholds of the enemy. When you stop and think of what they're going through right here in chapter 4, if you put it in a spiritual way and, and look at it that way, it could be very effective for us because we may not kill our children to survive, but we certainly can lead them astray. And at the same time that Jeremiah was ministering, Remember that there were many false prophets that was telling Zedekiah, you know, it's going to work out. God is somehow going to rescue us. And he believed them. You know, when you finish this, I want to just read the last verse here because I want you to see something. It says, O daughter of Zion, your punishment will end. There's this glimmer of hope. 
And one of the enemies that uh, Israel had, or Judah, for many, many years was Edom. And you know, when they were going into captivity, I think Edom was applauding. But right here it says, but O daughter of Edom, he will punish your sin and expose your wickedness. So nobody's going to get away with anything. So what, could, what can we get from this message today? What, what benefit can we glean, can, can help us right today? You know, this movie that's come out about you know, the Jesus kind of movement. I was one of those. I was saved in 1970. I was in the tent. <laughs> I got to see it. I got to experience it. So when I looked around when I was in those tents back in 1970, I was in my young 20s, I could see that almost all the people in there were young. They were kind of my age or younger, some a little older. But God did a move in, in, in that movement with the young people. And, you know, he's not going to probably use my generation for any kind of move, but I can certainly teach those young believers. I have enough knowledge of the word that I can steer them in the right direction. I can tell them when that's not good or that's not what God would want. Or I can say, this is a blessing. So when we look at this lament of Jeremiah, we get the benefit of knowing that our God rescued them. Because, you know, 70 years later, in fact, in Daniel 9, he's reading Jeremiah. Wow, they're going to be getting ready to come home. And he begins to pray. And that's another story. But the idea of it is, is that God has always supplied all the needs that, that need to be so he can accomplish his will. And you know, he says in one place, did you know that Nebuchadnezzar, he's my servant. I'm using him. Now, that doesn't mean, no, but he's using him to bring this people of his to their knees. And so, I ask myself, you know, being at my age, I've seen in the 50s, I was riding my bicycle down to the Riverside Plaza. You know, it was safe. You know, you didn't have to worry about nothing. It was fun to be alive then. But as the years have gone by, especially these last couple decades, I've seen my country become it's, it's on a downhill, you know, it's a spiral. And no one can rescue it except God. No political anything can rescue us. We've, we've slid too far. And I know when the scripture says that in those days, they will call what is wrong right and vice versa. So we live in an time in history that can be the most exciting time to be alive because if God is going to pour out in these days his spirit upon all flesh 
I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the person who learned how to weep. I want to be a person who knows when someone hurts. I want to be a person who can, instead of pointing a finger, say, I can't believe they said that, get on my knees and pray. I want to be a person that can, God can say, he's usable, he's teachable, he's available. So as we close tonight, Jeremiah passed pretty much after 586 when the fall of Jerusalem. They burned the temple, the palaces, the homes. They destroyed the wall. It was a shamble mess. And Jeremiah, he's watching it all. And he's weeping for his people, his country. I want to be that sensitive to my country. Never, it's never going to get fixed by complaining. It will never get fixed by believing some, you know, some political whatever is going to fix it. We're at a place where God needs to fix it. I would like to see somebody running for an office that says, we are in trouble. <laughs> and if we don't turn to God, it's going to get much worse. You know, that's what I want to hear the truth. It's not going to get better because we've changed this or changed that. It's only going to get better when God's people know what the price is. And the price is the very people that are hurting, that have been misplaced, that have been pushed aside, and all they can do is just survive. Just survive. You and I have the very keys to unlock those locked doors. God has given us the ability to love people, not with flowers and gifts, but love people in their soul, where they live, what makes them tick. There are more people right now who are depressed, have suicidal thoughts, don't even know what, to, what end is up. And everybody pretends like everything's just fine. It's not. Jeremiah knew it's not okay. It's not. And you know, a prophet is not very well received by the people. They're not because they speak the things that God wants them to hear. And most, of, most, I don't know, one prophet in the Old Testament that got high marks from the people. They were generally pushed away and rejected. But guess what? God does not reject anyone who comes to him. He wants to make every one of us in his kingdom, he wants us to do exceedingly great and beyond what we can even imagine. So with that, thank you very much. Yeah, we, let's give him a hand. Give him a hand. Thank you very much for sharing. I uh, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, just some thoughts. Uh, I do want to get to the questions, but before I do, um, 
Yeah, it was just uh, what was rumbling through me a little bit was, uh, yeah, when it comes to change, it really is one person at a time. And because uh, every time that we do this, say, oh, yeah, we get that person will change or that system gets put in place or whatever. Um, sure, that might help, but ultimately it's it's us. And, mm -hmm. and as you were explaining, you know, with the prophets, um, they had very clear communication with God, right? And, and they, they knew they, what they were supposed to do. Uh, but you have to believe in their hearts. They would love to see the people get it, right? And grab onto it and, and go forward. And so they, um, so they had that just special uh, function, right? To communicate God's truth, but then also the God's love too uh, for the people, even though they were rejecting. And, and uh, who else, you know, received the greatest rejection of all time, right? And, and Jesus. So these prophets are uh, kind of, you know, they go before, they show types of what Jesus was. And um, uh, so I, I wanted to just touch on a couple things uh, before we get to the questions. Uh, one of the things we uh, we're going to talk about tonight if, um, is about how important it is for the church leaders, uh, for the people, you know, the priests, the prophets to, uh, to follow God, you know, in terms of the leadership. And, and, um, and I think you did a great job, Marty, in terms of talking about the kings and the people who were in charge, uh, especially the majority uh, just disregarded God. Right, and so what does that do for the people? What does that do for uh, the land and those kind of things? And so, um, you know, and, and there was some scripture in here, to, you know, in, in our chapter, like thir verses thirteen to sixteen, was around that was the priests were going the wrong direction, right? The king was going the wrong direction, um, and so all the people who were supposed to come and and lead the truth, uh, they were going the wrong way, and um, and so that's one of our questions. Go ahead and uh, put up the questions and. Um, and we'll read those to you. So the first one is, why is it important that the church leaders obey God and not the culture? And so that'll be one of the, the things we talk about. And then the second question is, in our memory verse, uh, what do the promises of God mean to you? And just a very quick thing is, it, it talks about uh, steadfast love. It talks about his mercies never ending. It talks about that they're new every day, right? Every morning. Um, and that he's faithful. Right? And so those are some of those promises that we have in our memory verse. And then uh, the last one is, does God want us to share our heart? And, um, you know, spoiler alert, the answer is yes. Okay, you can say no if you want. Um, but so if so, why is that the case, right? Um, and, you know, again, when we look at these lamentations, as Marty had said, uh, there really is no focused um, lament, if you will like this book. And so it's very unique. You do get a little bit of it in the Psalms, right? And, and probably in Job and other places. Um, but what I, what I really love about this is, uh, this is raw, right? This is exactly what they're feeling. It's what they're seeing. And in some take, sometimes they're actually a kind of accusatory, like, God, you did this. But in other times they're actually honest and said, oh, well, we actually had sinned, right? We knew the way we were supposed to go, but we didn't go that way. Um, but what this speaks to me is that we can be honest and raw with God. And I think that's part of our relationship because when we withhold from him, it's kind of like we don't trust him or we don't, we don't, we fear, we don't, you know, we can't have that uh, tight relationship with him. And so that's what I love about it is uh, really, you know, there's really nothing we can do to surprise God. He knows everything. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we should be praying for. But yet the whole time he's still is asking for us to come to him. And so uh, that's, that's just where that question around the heart really comes into play. Uh, so let me go ahead and pray and close us, and then we'll, we'll get into our groups for discussion. Um, dear Heavenly Father, um, what a wonderful night worshiping you. 
uh, of hearing your word, Lord, and, and I pray that you'll be with us in our fellowship time, and, uh, and for those who are online, that you would continue to, they would ex- continue to experience your blessing and your presence, and, and Lord, we do want your word to go deep into our hearts, um, that it would shift and transform us, and uh, Lord, we, um, we're so thankful that we have this example. Uh, Lord, we know exactly what's going to happen if, if we choose to follow you. Uh, we just, we're led in the path of favor. We're led in the path of blessing. If we choose to reject you, then we go into the danger zone. We go into the place of, of sin, and, and sin brings death and, and curses. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us that wisdom, and we would have the courage and, and faith to follow you. And so, Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll go ahead and get into our small groups and, um, and talk about those. If you don't mind, go ahead and put the questions up. And, uh, and if we haven't said goodbye to the online audience, goodbye. <laughs>